Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Neil deGrasse Tyson will join us to discuss letters from an astrophysicist. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, the world and the universe seem a very fascinating and sometimes complex place, but who better to shed light on this than an astrophysicist? In fact, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is the Frederick P. Rose director of the Hayden Planetarium. He has written the new book, Letters from an Astrophysicist, where he uh, compiles a number of letters received over the years on a number of subjects. And Dr. Tyson, very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. Thank you. Cool name for the show. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Again, a very fascinating book. I'm curious, why did you decide to put this compilation together? Well, it's actually, it's been in progress for many, many years, and most people don't know, or maybe didn't presume, is while I'm there in public appearing on documentaries, or there's various YouTube videos of me, this sort of thing, in the, you know, under the hood, I'm maintaining or sustaining a consistent exchange of letters with total strangers who are asking questions about life, the universe, and everything, and Every now and then I would put a little, a letter to me might require a little extra effort and what might come out of me is a little extra sort of literary dimension to it. And selfishly, I would say to myself, you know, I put in so much effort into this letter, more than one person should end up seeing this at the end. So I'd slide it over into a folder and say, if I ever compile these into a book, this letter is going to be, you know, will will likely be among them. So I've done that over the years. And then that folder got really fat and I said, it is time. And then, the, so the letter contains, the, the book contains 101 of the most intriguing exchanges I've had with people out there, all in search of something, a career, a parenting, things that you say, well, why would you ever ask an astrophysicist these things? And I thought about it and realized that most people have never even met a scientist, much less can claim one as their friend. And if you ever wanted a scientist's view on something, what would, how would you go about that? And I'm flattered and honored that people viewed me as close enough to them, even as total strangers, to share with me some of their, some of their more um, personal stories in search of cosmic insight. Do you think uh, viewed then because you're a scientist as having a special insight then in realms beyond science that you might be able to answer some of these questions? Yeah, I don't see it as much as that I have expertise in the subject. If it's a subject that is, for example, one of the letters is a Jewish woman raising her 10-year-old autistic son, taking him to Hebrew school. So I'm none of that, right? And so, because she wants some insights into what to do about his emergent skepticism of anything religious. And so I think the issue here is not that I necessarily am the person who uh, that, uh, that have perfect overlap with where the person's coming from, but that a scientific outlook is something that could still benefit you 
uh, on any subject at all. Just a, it's an outlook where you have a certain healthy skepticism, but you know how to think about things that you're learning or don't know much about or what others say. And this came up, for example, there are letters in there. Someone asked about Bigfoot and very a big fan of Bigfoot. And so I bring sort of a, a scientific outlook to the question of whether Bigfoot and historical uh, outlook to the table. Other questions, about 10% of the letters are from people who hail from a particular religious tradition and they're in they're exploring whether their religious tradition can reconcile with the moving frontier of science. And so they're religious and I'm not particularly religious. So I try to meet them in a place where what I share with them can be best received by whatever receptors they might have. Is it always the case that they're really searching for that scientific point of view or, or is it that they're just searching and you're a, a potential source that can offer some insight? Yeah, I, betting that they have friends or pastors or parents or loved ones who they've floated these thoughts by, uh, I really think is that they're in search of what a scientist would say and think about what they experienced. One is is explicitly that. There's a woman who, who after her father died, she was like first at the funeral home after he was brought there. And her father's up there on the slab and not yet prepped for a casket. And as she reports, had a two-way audio conversation with him. And she shared with me what they talked about. And then asked me at the end, what do I think happened? Right. So you could ask that of your best friend. You'll get one kind of answer. But if your best friend is not a scientist, you're going to miss out on what, how a scientist might respond to that question. And I think that's really what they're targeting. Do you feel that the respect for science still exists? I mean, much has been made of science losing its place, at least in terms of having a word on what reality encompasses. Well, I think it's up to me to earn the respect for the opinion I give them. So for that reason, I don't just hand them an encyclopedic answer to something. I try to, I think of it as a, having sort of this implicit contract with them, right? They wrote me a letter from wherever they were standing on whatever landscape they find themselves. And for me to reply, I, I need to put in some effort to understand where they're standing, what they're going through, what they're thinking, how might they be most receptive to what I tell them. All of this is sort of folded in to each letter as it's sent to each person, depending on what it is that they ask. There's one particular case where the writer's quite aggressive. He's accusing scientists of just creating some other religion, a religion of science, and no better than any other religion in its search for truths. And so this is a sustained exchange. It's in the book as well. In fact, he thinks that if scientists were in charge, that we'd all feed Christians to the lions. He was, I think he was half serious about that. And so that was a particularly challenging one because he was, I felt anger in the tone of how he was trying to communicate. So I had to figure out how to navigate his anger in my reply so that the conversation can have some mutual value by the time it ended. Very unique as a scientist. Uh, you take the time to promote science, public understanding of science, and, and in taking time to answer these letters. Do you think not enough scientists try and engage with the public in this way, and in some ways that maybe that affects a little bit of how the public views science? 
Yeah. I, in fact, sorry, in your earlier question, a part of that question I didn't yet answer, which was what kind of respect does do scientists get today from the public? It seems like it might be diminishing. I can tell you that for everyone who might feel like scientists don't matter in their lives, they're all using a smartphone, <laughs> okay? <laughs> they're carrying a smartphone on them that can take pictures, that can tell them where, make a left turn to find the restaurant, which is beaming off of orbiting satellites. So what's really going on here is people think they have the freedom to reject science without knowing that they may even be alive because of it and that it's deeply enhancing their existence. I think the, the what's the generation that grew up only ever knowing a, a smartphone? What are they called? Those aren't the millennials. Those are digital natives. I think they understand the role that science is playing in their lives. And they are leading the movement to get older folks to understand climate change and devastating effects civilization are having on it. So I think they value it because it enables life as they know it, right? Others, yeah, this is a challenge. So I look forward to the day where many, many more scientists are on this frontier. There are a few, and uh, several who are out there. There's some who have uh, excellent podcasts that post regularly. One of my favorites, I think, is called Physics Girl. She's someone who's fully trained in physics and posts videos exploring how the laws of physics can manifest in your everyday life. Those are fun and entertaining. There's a whole other set of YouTube channels. Vsauce is, a, is an entire exercise in trying to get people closer to the operations of, of nature and of the world. So there are folks out there, and I'm glad they're there because I have this possibly delusional goal that one day there are enough people on this landscape that I could just sort of back out and exit the back door and you won't even know that I left. And then I can go back to the lab and get some science done. If you just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Dr. Tyson, of course, is the Frederick P. Rose Director of the Hidden Planetarium. His new compilation of letters is called Letters from Astrophysicist. Dr. Tyson, as, as a physicist, you might be in a position, and some of these letters showcase that, where you're inundated not just questions about actual science, but pseudoscience. You find that those might be challenging to answer. Oh, yeah, great question. So, obviously, I get regular questions, too, like, how big is the universe and all the rest. Those are not part of this book. Those questions don't require me, really. It just requires someone who who knows that subject. And there's a whole staff here that is equipped to do so. And so when I shed some of the letters for others to reply, they would reply under their own name saying, Dr. Tyson is busy or, and they'd take it over. So, so those get fielded over that period of time. It's particularly when there's something I said or something people saw me on a documentary that triggered something that, or there's something I wrote, it triggers something within them where the question has to come directly to me. And that's how you get there a few questions in there on career direction. There's a whole chapter on hate mail, hate mail that I've gotten over the years where people just angry, just, just angry. Uh, one of them is an, a letter from a fourth grader really just pissed off that I was implicated in the demotion of Pluto. When in fact, I didn't even demote Pluto, but I was very visibly embraced the change in status with visible exhibits here in New York that got written about in the newspapers. So I got implicated by a whole generation of people as being public enemy number one for demoting Pluto. As far as a pseudoscience, 
I generally don't do much in public addressing people who are big into pseudoscientific topics. But when I got letters, I did. Right. So it's not like I wasn't thinking about these subjects. I just don't generally uh, debate people. Right. I'm not going to debate a flat earther. I'm not going to debate a creationist. I'm not going to debate a crystal healer. I'm not going to debate an astrologer. And the reason for that is if you became an adult and you think Earth is flat or you became an adult and you think the stars are influencing your financial and personal life, then something was missing in your educational arc. And so I don't even blame you for what you, what you're doing. It's just I have to think about the educational system. And somewhere in there, was it, do we need a course in this? I don't know. Or does it, had to, should it be taught every year? People need to be reminded what science is and how and why it works. And when you do this, then whole branches of thought would just never, you would never give it any credence because you are plugged into the operations of nature on a level where you are empowered to tell whether someone else is a charlatan, whether someone else is trying to exploit your ignorance of the laws of physics just for their own financial gain. So in the one-on-one -on -one letters, in there is, it, like I said, there's a letter on Bigfoot. There's a letter on conspiracy theorists. There were some 9-11 conspiracy people who wrote in there, and I replied. There's letters on UFOs. Uh, I don't think of UFOs as pseudoscience, just people not fully understanding what it is they're looking at and are not trained at how to draw conclusions about what they saw. So uh, there's UFOs. So these these uh, classical sort of pseudoscience topics are all they're all in there in the book. In this information age, there's an inability to discriminate between evidence which is backed by science. Is part of the issue just to think critically, accepting you know alternative facts as they were. Yeah, let's hold aside alternative facts for a moment and just look at what it means when you Google something. Right? So before the internet era, if you had a kind of crazy idea, and you know you look up in an encyclopedia and it wasn't there. You try to find a book on it, and it's hard to find a book. And it's, and so you you would kind of you were isolated in your crazy ideaness. And now with a search engine, you can type your crazy idea into the search engine, and it will find every website that every other crazy person put together, giving you the false impression that you have a legitimate idea. And so there's no defenses against this. Because you think that because someone else thinks the way you do, that that legitimizes your idea if your idea is a complete violation of known laws of physics, for example. So these are challenges for the educator. Now, the Internet is still in, in its infancy. And maybe in 10 years or 50 or 100 years, there'll be tools in place to help the user distinguish what is true, what is not, what is opinion and what is not opinion. These kinds of basic fundamental elements of reasoning. And by the way, in the spirit of this, I was recently asked to deliver a master class. You might have seen some of these advertised online. So I have a master class coming out this month, and it's called Neil deGrasse Tyson Teaches Scientific Thinking and Communication. And everything we've just been sharing about communicating and how to think about the world is formalized in that master class. So I'm very proud of it because it's a it's something that I didn't ever spend much time 
I, yes, I invoke it when I teach and when I communicate, but I've never taught it. So in a way, I'm teaching what's under the hood of how I teach and how I communicate. You're seeing through these letters broad swaths of humanity. What's your sense of populace that's out there? Do you, do you get a sense that as a species now we're improving or what your overall feel from all these letters? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I think if you prioritized issues, we have to become better shepherds of our own civilization. And that is a, of course, I'm talking about global climate change. You know, there, there are issues that require science literacy that affect policy, that affect uh, how stable our civilization actually will be in the not too distant future. So I don't know if we're better. I just know that access to science is as great as it has ever been, even more so. And the question is, who wins the contest in the end? The people who are scientifically literate trying to save civilization, or the people who are not scientifically literate and who want things to be in the world, they measure what they want to be true based on what feels good to them. Well, that's, that's the recipe for disaster. That's, uh, if that's how you want to live and run society and your country and civilization, then that's the beginning of the end of everything that the scientific revolution has built for us. How many of these letters actually come as letters these days? Oh, <laughs> very good question. So there are three letters in, that, in the book that come from uh, active prisoners, and their letters are handwritten on paper. Others, I got a, my hate mail from the fourth grader that was on paper. And in fact, that was so cute, I had to reproduce it in facsimile in the book. So you can see the handwriting and the misspellings and just it's the full spirit of an elementary school child just trying to communicate how she feels. Oh, by the way, that letter is long enough ago that that child is the one who really complained to me about Pluto. Uh, she's now a, a, in college at Florida State University and an environmental science major. So I was very happy that there is life after getting, uh, after writing to me about Pluto and blaming me for it. And then, um, yeah, she, she, she's a scientist. So I feel good about that. So I would say of the 101 letters, there might have been 10 or 15 that were handwritten. Then the rest are, of course, emails. Well, any plans to compile more letters? And when people look at this book, what, what would you like them really to take home from this compilation? I want to encourage curiosity. And this letter is a celebration of curiosity in us all. It's people who just had a burning question about life, the universe, and everything, and just had to sit down and write a letter. By the way, not all questions you might have are easily answered through a Google search right? Google search is good for sort of factual inquiry. But if you have something sort of more emotionally tinged, then you really need a whole person to hear your question and who could then reply. So I would like to know if, if this book would encourage people to have their curiosity raised to the level of a letter sent to a person who in their best judgment could serve that, could address and fulfill that curiosity that gurgled up within them. Uh, as for another volume, this is heavily culled and curated. Uh, this 101 are drawn from about 250 letters that were in my burgeoning folder, letters that had extra attention given to their content. I could conceivably put out another volume if this book is successful and the demand is out there, uh, easily is a second volume within this.
Well, we're just talking with Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Again, he is the Frederick P. Rose Director of the Hayden Planetarium. His new book, Letters from an Astrophysicist. And Dr. Tyson, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for that interest. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.